In this episode, we're going to hit up another prepping topic. As many of you know, I do that on occasion. This one comes from a question we received that has to do with zeroing rifles, specifically the AR platform. So as a disclaimer for all of you out there, this will be a firearms discussion specifically to certain types of bullets and zeroing that rifle so that you're able to hit your targets on the range. And it is meant for primarily the beginner to intermediate shooter who wants some more knowledge and understanding how to do that, especially when you're on your own, you don't have a coach or somebody professional there helping you. So zeroing your AR-15 rifle, what that means, how we do it, little history on the bullets and what they can do. That's what we're going to talk about right here on Gray Man, Hiding in Plain Sight. So I'm going to try to give you enough information to help you out, but to understand what these bullets can and can't not do, dispel some rumors about what things mean, and hopefully this gives you more information in a simple fashion to be able to do this on your own if needed, especially if you don't have a lot of existing training or experience or somebody to help you. First, let's talk about the bullets. One of the things in the question was asked was mentioning a 223, but mentioning ammo, specific ammo that was 556. 223 and 556 are not the same round, not the same bullet by any means. They're very, very close though. 556 has a little more pressure. They're both measured on different pressure systems. It has a thicker casing usually, and there's some slightly different measurements. They're enough that they can damage a 223 rifle. So when you look at firearms, there'll be something stamped on the metal mentioning its caliber. So in these types of firearms, if it says .223 REM for 223 Remington, you can shoot 223 rounds through it, but you cannot shoot 556. 556 will function, don't get me wrong, but it only takes a few rounds to actually damage that firearm. But when it comes to the air platform, it's not that common anymore to find a 223 Remington only, although they are out there. If it is stamped 5.56 mm for 5.56 millimeter, it'll shoot a 556 and it'll shoot a 223 just fine. The other one you find that's not as common but is on a lot of higher-end firearms will be the 223 Wild, spelled W-Y-L-D-E. That'll shoot the 5.56 and the 223. The 223 Wild is a different round, but it tends to cost more. So we should know that right off the bat. They are different. Which one's more accurate? On paper, by ballistics, the 223 is more accurate. Most of the time, professional competition shooters tend to shoot a 223 and not a 5.56 because it's a more accurate round. There are some more skilled shooters that are able to determine that. So before I go any farther, one thing to understand about firearms and bullets when you're messing around with these things and you want to find out what's better, there is a difference between saying what a bullet is capable of and what you are capable of. So just because a certain type of ammo has certain capabilities, no matter what you're shooting, doesn't mean that's going to happen when you pull the trigger. Its limitations are actually firstly based on the human and what your training and skill level limitations are. So do understand that. There are specific changes and differences in ammo that may not pertain to you as a shooter because of how often you shoot, what your skill and training level are, what your platform is, being your firearm type, your optics, many factors, but we're going to keep this as basic and simple as possible. Now, the two most common and economical rounds to buy are 55 grain and 62 grain bullets. For those that don't know what that means, Grain, when it comes to ammunition, is a unit of measure for weight. It means how much the bullet weighs. It's not how many grains of powder is in there. It's the weight of the bullet. Higher the number, heavier the bullet. Now, the most common ones, being 55 and 62 grain, 
in the military have nomenclature numbers. But the point to understand is kind of the history on this bullet. So the green tip one, some of you may remember, looked like it was hitting legislation, like it must not be sold or something. And then prices went through the roof. And it's because part of the name has AP, which everybody said was armor penetrating or armor piercing, but that's not true. It's armor penetrator. What that's for is, for the longest time, the military was shooting one type of 5.56 round. Then came along the M249 fully automatic belt-fed 5.56 weapon system. At about 200 meters, it was determined the rounds they were shooting were just bouncing off targets. They weren't having any effect, even though through a standard rifle or carbine they were. And they realized things with the weapon system, the gas pressure, the cycling, all these things that mattered, they were having difficulties. So they switched to another weight of bullet and found out that at about 200 meters, it'd go to two to three millimeters of metal, meaning it would have the penetration factor so that in wartime, it would have the effect you would want it to have when you were fighting a war and shooting people, which is what the military does when they go to war. So they painted the rounds with the green tip so people would know. That was the original idea behind it. Then it became confusing, ammo we're ordering, whatever, there's contracts, all this stuff gets involved, and eventually they all switch to the green tip ammo, but that's all it means is armor penetrator. It's not armor piercing. It's meant for fully automatic high rates of fire out to about 200 meters to have a better effective distance. Then came along things like Somalia, where not the only battle, but places where a lot of people in the special operations community had lots of training, lots of shooting and trigger time, Realized that when it came to shooting people, that bullet was over-penetrating like other rounds were and were not tumbling around in the body taking people out of the fight. So they started switching back to the other round. Then, over time, even though both rounds are still available in the military, they went to heavier rounds that were far more effective. Which is why even if you accept the fact and like 223 because of what competition shooters use, you should also know that when you look up what they're using, a lot of them aren't using 55 grain and 62 grain bullets or using heavier bolts like 77. So that's just a little history to understand what the green tip is and where that comes from. At the end of the day, when it comes down to economical factor, most people that are shooting these rounds are shooting the 62 grain or the 55 grain bullet, which is up to the individual. Really depends on what you're going to be shooting and in what distances. But they both cost about the same even now when prices go up. They're just the most common rounds in the highest demand. Therefore, they tend to be the cheapest. Typically, I shoot a 55-grain bullet because that's what I'm used to. That's what I did in the military. I like the ballistics of it better. I like what it does. And they have boat tail rounds are more common, which is just the way the bullet's shaped in the back that makes it fly a little more straighter, a little more accurate. That is only noticeable for somebody that can meet that skill level of what that bullet can do. So there's plenty of things that bullet can do. I don't have the skill level to consistently engage targets at, but there's plenty of things it can do. I'm capable of making happen beyond that of the average shooter. That just depends on you. That's why I say doesn't matter what it says a weapon can do or a bullet can do. If you can't do those things, if you're not that trained and skilled, those things are not going to happen. So that being said, when we get firearms, especially rifles, especially the types of rifles we're talking about, they come with adjustments on them to get your bullets on target. Typically, your front sight post is adjustable to change elevation of the round, and your rear sight post is adjustable for windage. Those are the iron sights, as we call them, that come with this type of firearm. Everything you do, you'll, of course, have to do if you add any optics, but the one thing I tell people, experienced or not, you should be zeroing those iron sights and learning how to use them before you're adding on red dots and magnified optics because... Optics eventually fail. Battery operated, they fail. 
Certain ones will break. Things will happen. Damage. You accidentally drop the rifle. Things can happen that can affect that. And if you have to go to iron sights and don't have them zeroed and don't know how to use them, then you cannot engage your targets. And then your range day is over with. So all zeroing means is we have two two sets of terms that essentially mean the same thing. One's called line of sight, line of bore. Bore means the bullet comes out of the bore, being the barrel, and where it goes, line of sight's where you're looking. Another way to say that is point of aim, point of impact. Point of aim is line of sight, where you're looking, point of impact, where the barrel goes. So we'll, we'll kind of stick with the point of aim, point of impact, as that seems to be the most common. Zeroing means my point and aim and point of impact are the same at a distance on paper. Okay, again, limited to your skill. So one thing to understand is that you're always looking in a straight line. That's just the way eyesight works. You look in a straight line. But the bullet flight path does not go in a straight line. It goes in an arc. It comes out of the barrel, and it goes up above that line you're looking, and then it'll come down below that line you're looking. That's just normal. So if you zero at a specific distance, let's say 100 meters, and it's zero properly, that means when you aim center mass of that target 100 meters, that's where that bullet should hit. But if you remember, I said the bullet comes up and intersects that line because you're looking over the bullet when it's fired and then it comes down. What that means is whatever distance you're zeroing at, there's actually two distances, point of aim and point of impact line up. And everywhere in the middle, you have to make natural adjustments. Some people have heard the term Kentucky windage, although that has to do with windage. The same idea applies to elevation, which is what I'm talking about now. That's where terms like holdovers and holdunders come into play. So the point is to say that just because you aim center mass and you're zero doesn't mean you're going to hit all targets. For example, in the U.S. Army, they shoot on a range out to 300 meters. That's what their standard in training is, and they zero for 300 meters. So on a 25-meter range, they're only shooting 25 meters, they have a target with a silhouette on it that's very small that is supposed to represent what that target will look like at 300 meters. And then in the center of that target, there's a circle on the black silhouette where you're supposed to hit five out of six shots in two volleys of three. That's their standard of training. What they don't tell you is that because that circle's right on there, what really is happening is your point of aim, point of impact, your zero is at 25 meters and 300, meaning at 25 meters, point of aim, point of impact should be the same as well as 300 meters. Now, because of that bullet's flight path for the average or below average shooter, if they aim center mass on that range, every target is every 50 meters. So they have a 50, a 100, 150, 250, and 300. If you aim center mass on every target, here's what's going to happen. You will hit the 50, you will hit the 100. Some people will hit the 150, some will miss, the bullet will go over it. The bullet will go over the 200 and the 250, and it'll drop down and probably hit the 300. Probably. The reason I say probably is, Going back to that target with the silhouette, one of the other things they don't tell you is the width of that silhouette is not proportionally accurate to the target. It's too wide. So they want a tighter shot group. They typically don't have it. So what will happen is a lot of guys that miss 300, if they have the skill and training, the reason they're missing it, they'll still actually miss it to the left or the right a little bit, or the bullet will actually drop down under because... At 300 meters, that target's so small, it is difficult for a lot of people to tell exactly what center mass is. So here's what we tell them to do. We say, okay, you're going to aim center mass. You're going to hit a 50 and a 100. 
Aim center on a 150. Let's see if you're hitting it. If not, we're going to aim a little bit lower. On your 2 and 250, you want to aim at the bottom of that target where the belt line is. That way, when the bullet rises up, it's still going to hit the target. And then we tell them on the 300 meter target, you want to take that front sight post and instead of trying to figure out where center mass is, just cover up most of the target, which is easy to identify, meaning the front sight post actually won't be lined up center mass. It'll be up with the shoulders because the head part can be hard to see. And then they're going to hit that target. And that's understanding that because you're shooting the same size target at distance and the bullet has a flight path to realize that there's no such thing as saying, I'm going to zero here and I'm going to hit everything out to 600 meters. That's not going to happen, especially with that round. Now, why is this important? It's because there's many zeroing distances that are in common uses. There's five that are very common, but they all, all but one, well, they all have two points of aim, points of impact, but one is hard to determine where it is. So, for example, a 300-meter zero, line of sight, point of aim, point of impact is at 25 meters and 300. There's a 200-meter zero where point of aim, point of impact is at 50 meters and 200. And there's a 100-meter zero that's about seven yards and 100. They all have certain weaknesses and benefits depending on the person. Now, for the average shooter or new shooter, I tell them best thing you can do is do a 200-meter zero because more than likely with a little bit of training, aiming center mass, you're probably going to hit most things out to 250, even if you have to aim a little low on them. But if you aim in center mass, you should hit things out to 250, no problem. A little training, you'll start to increase your distance. So there's different benefits to these rounds. So, for example, the 100 meter, if you do a 100 meter zero and you're aiming center mass, you're probably you're still going to hit things out to 200 and you might hit them a little farther. Reason people do 100 meter zeros is typically certain types of military members. And it's because of the seven yard, roughly 21 foot point of aim, point of impact. Because there are people in the military that need training to do things like hostage rescue where they go into large rooms, there's hallways and buildings, and they need to know that if they put a shot on a specific location on a body, that that's where the bullet's going because there could be a hostage or could be other things involved. That's the purpose of that round. But it becomes a little detrimental to the average shooter at greater distances. Now, the next one, the fourth one, while commonly misunderstood the distance, is actually a very good one with the right training, and it's actually 36 yards. Some people think it's 35 meters, it's 36 yards. has some of the same descriptions of impact at distance based on what you can hit. But the zeroing, though, doesn't really matter what the military does with it. It matters what you're doing. So if you're doing competition shooting, you know what kind of competitions you're shooting, you know what kind of distances you're shooting, you get a pretty good idea Based on that information, what zero is going to work best for you with a little practice narrowing it in. If you're going to be hunting or shooting long distance, whether on competition or just for fun, you get a better idea of what's probably going to work for you. So that's where you got to figure that out. After that comes optics. Optics follow the same thing. It just depends on the optic. Certain magnified optics with the reticles will tell you it's specifically done for 5.56 and might tell you the specific weight it's designed for and how to zero it because that's how it's set up. And it's typically because they have bullet drop compensators, which just means they have a set of crosshairs below center that when you line them up, you know what distance you can shoot and hit at. Then you have things like red dots that don't have any of that. It's just a red dot. You zero those just like an iron sight at whatever distance you want. And just a little tidbit of information, just because you zero your iron sight at let's say 200, doesn't mean you have to zero your red dot at 200. You could zero your red dot at a different distance. I have rifles that have red dots and iron sights zeroed at two different distances because of what I have those rifles set up for. 
Now, you can go online and search any of these and find the targets for those four. Sean Ryan at Vigil Elites has a good instructional video and write-up and targets you can print out for that 36-yard target. It's very good to do. There's plenty of videos on zeroing, but you can find the actual targets to print out because the targets are different. So taking the first three, 100, 200, and 300-meter zero, the physical paper is a standard piece of paper. The black silhouette on it's the same size on all of them. But a couple things you need to know. Number one, they have grid lines on these targets, little squares, that are set to help you adjust your windage and elevation for your iron sights or your red dot op. Here's what you need to know. Depending on your barrel length, those grids will be different sizes. So if you're shooting a 14.7 carbine, you need a different target than if you're shooting, say, 16 inches or longer or 18 inches or longer in a rifle. Those targets will specifically tell you what they're made for. So if you're shooting a 14.7, but you get a target made for a longer barreled rifle, those adjustments aren't always going to work out for you and you won't be as accurate. So you need to know that, number one. Number two, I mentioned on the 300-meter target that in the middle of the black silhouette, there is a circle where your bullets are supposed to hit. That's the 300-meter target. On those other targets... For the 100, the 200, and the 36-yard, that circle is in a different location, either above or below, meaning on a because they're all set up typically for a 25-meter flat range, you'll have a target at 25 meters. You will aim center mass of that black silhouette, but depending on the zero you're going for, the circle on the 300 will be on the black, but on the other ones, they'll be above or below the target. That's where your bullets are supposed to go so that when you're shooting the real physical distance, based on the bullet's trajectory, that arc it takes, it will hit those targets correctly. Now, the last one is called MPBR, maximum point blank range. The simple idea behind it is, you have a firearm, you can do this with any firearm, you have a firearm, you're gonna aim center mass on a target and you're gonna hit the target. And through a lot of trial and error, what you're really doing is determining that the maximum distance you can hit a target aiming center mass without flying over or under, which typically is going to be at shorter distances. That doesn't mean you're going to necessarily know the two specific point of aim, point of impact marks, because depending on the ammo, the rifle, your skill level, these different distances can vary, but you should be able to accurately hit targets out to 2250 doing that, and maybe even a little farther. Typically, you take one of these simple zeroing systems. Let's say you take the 200 meter you're shooting at the target, you're aiming center mass on a 25 meter range, it's landing in that circle that's in a different location. You get on a range that has targets and you start shooting 50, 100, 150, 200, and maybe you determine you have to do a hold over or hold under, maybe you got to aim a little higher, a little lower, and you start to make adjustments and it's much better if you have a spotter, somebody can follow the trail, those rounds in the flight path, they can see where they're going. And then you just start slowly increasing your range. And then let's say all of a sudden you're hitting targets out to 300. You still got to go back after those adjustments and shoot your 250, your 200, your 100, make sure you're still hitting them. And the idea is to get it to the point where I know that with this rifle and this bullet, if I aim center mass, it just happens to work out. I can hit anything out to 287 meters. It might be an odd number like that. But the biggest things that come into play is what you're really using it for. And that factors on a range. So most ranges you shoot at, you have standard targets with circles you're shooting at. Well, that's great. But let's say in the military, military shooting silhouettes that are shaped like bodies. Well, it does no good for you 
This is, in my opinion, to shoot silhouettes shaped like bodies. If you're using this rifle to shoot coyotes, you want targets or something in the shape and size of that target, that coyote, to shoot at those distances. That is going to matter because if you take the silhouette like a person the military uses, there's a lot more height to it than width, which means it's a little more forgiving in elevation, but not so much in windage. Whereas if you're shooting a coyote that's a lot longer than it is tall, you got a little more forgiveness in winches and not as much in elevation. And that's going to factor in depending on the skill level of the shooter. So the, for the beginner to the average shooter, there's a lot of information that doesn't really matter initially to get you zeroed and get you on target. First, what's your budget? Okay, we're shooting an AR-15. Most people are going to shoot a 5.56 or two twenty-three round. We'll say you pick 5.56, okay? Cheapest rounds in the market tend to be a 55 grain and 62 bullet. Do you care what those bullets are capable of? Or perhaps say the 62 grain is a little cheaper. No problem. That's the round you buy. Okay, we're shooting 62 grain bullets. Next thing, do you own or in the future plan to buy a very specific optic? If so, you want to look up the manual and make sure that that 62 grain round doesn't contradict, meaning they say, well, it's actually made for a 55 grain bullet. That's going to matter at distance. Let's say that's not the factor, so we're going to 62 grain bullet great. Now all we do is pick a zeroing distance. There is no right answer. So if you're just getting started, let's just think about where are you shooting? Are you shooting on a range? Are you shooting out, you know, in the desert where you can shoot? What kind of distance does that terrain allow you to shoot? If that's your situation and you say, well, I can only shoot out to 200. Okay, fine. No problem. Let's just do a 200 meter zero. That makes things simple. Then you start practicing and working with that, understanding where the bullet's going to hit. Are there holdovers and hold unders? We're shooting targets like metal silhouettes. Maybe you can't afford that. No problem. You buy the big piece of paper targets, not the eight and a half by 11. You buy those big, big targets that are like three by four feet or whatever they are, two by three, however big they are, and put them in target stands. You can make real cheap. So that way you can see where the bullet flies through the paper and you can work on your accuracy and training because there's all kinds of fundamentals and things that are involved because of the shooter. So then over time, we shoot some rounds, we're staying on target pretty consistently, and then conditions change. Maybe the distances change, maybe we want to do a different distance, maybe our range changes, we're shooting somewhere else. Other factors come in, and maybe you decide you want to shoot at a different type of distance and work with other holdovers. You can just go back, set up a 25-meter target for a different zero, we'll say this case 100 or 36 yards, and that's what you do. And you figure out what works best for you. It takes a lot of time and training. There's not going to be one generally right answer. It's just really what's it for. If you're just doing it for fun, it's really just going to come down to the physical distance you actually can shoot based on the train, the range, whatever, wherever you're actually pulling that trigger. The idea is like anything. It's to get you on target as quickly as possible. So when you're shooting on the range, you have more fun. You can engage your targets. You can see that you're having a good time. And then you can work from there depending on you change weapons, you get a different barrel, you get a different optic, whatever. Now there's things called confirming zero. If you've heard of that, confirming zero, really this is all it means. I haven't shot in a long time. So I'm going to go back to the zero range. Here is what I'll tell you. I'm a pretty good shooter. When I worked in military intelligence for a while, one of the things about military intelligence compared to special operations and the infantry was they didn't shoot that much. And I know how to shoot. So I would take a rifle. I didn't listen to the range. I did my own thing. I shot. I was zeroed. I'd go qualify expert. I was good to go. About a year and a half, two years later, I got to touch a rifle again. My rifle, nobody else had had it. Presumably the armor hadn't messed with the sights. Probably still zeroed. But I needed to confirm zero. So guess what happened when I went to the zero range? 
I wasn't shooting well. Well, here's the difference between me and other shooters. I would shoot, say, 18 rounds, which is a standard zero package you get. All you can shoot however many you need. Most of these guys that go up there, they would miss. They'd start making adjustments, and they might sit there all day. I would shoot and see where those bullets hit, and I knew, based on when those bullets are hitting, because my weapon was already zeroed, things I happen to know where those bullets were landing certain ways because of me. Not because of my aiming. It might be I had too much palm grip on my firing hand. I might have too much trigger pull, things to do with my breathing. I knew all these things, so I would just correct those, and I never made an adjustment on the rifle. Guess what would happen? All of a sudden, my bullets would be on target, and I never changed my zero. Those are other skills and things you learn after a time, but that's all confirming zero is. I haven't shot in a long time. Okay, because if you zero... Iron sights and optic, it doesn't matter. You say you zero it, you put it in a safe or in storage and nobody ever touches it. That zero is still there. Nothing's changing. But because you haven't shot that rifle or haven't shot in a while, it's a perishable skill. You need to go relearn the fundamentals. So just know that. You zero, you're on target, you're really good. Six months goes by, crap, I haven't shot. I'm going to go shoot again. All of a sudden, you're not hitting anything. Reconfirm zero. But beforehand, read information on fundamentals or have somebody there that can help you so that you're not just start making side adjustments because you'll make side adjustments and maybe that gets you on targets, but you'll shoot some more and all of a sudden you'll get off target because you'll get better with the fundamentals. Your body will start to recall them. But now your zero's off because you changed it. So just keep that in mind. Other things are distances we're shooting. While there's ways you can figure out and information you can find online to shoot at distances greater than 300 meters, there's statistics and numbers saying based on the barrel length of an AR and shooting a 5.56 round, how far they'll go. Understand those are perfect world situations. And when they're saying things like an M16 can shoot 600 meter targets or more, they're shooting targets the size of vehicles. And there's also things you may read that say maximum effective range. Maximum effective range doesn't mean you can't shoot and hit a target past there. It means that that bullet at that distance is only effective to that range in ideal conditions. So when the military says shooting a carbine, a 14.7 AR with a 5.56 round maximum effective range, and they'll tell you a point target or an air target, a point target means something the size of a person, probably a person in combat. They'll tell you the distance that is. What they're saying is you can still, if you have the skill, hit that target farther than that, but the bullet isn't going to be effective at stopping that target from what it's supposed to be doing. So when I train guys that are shooting the 762 by 39 AK platform, I tell them there's a reason why they say the maximum effective range of this bullet is about 100 yards. It's because, based on the ballistics of what the bullet will do, why it can still kill or hurt people in war, typically over 100 yards, it starts to lose its effectiveness against that target. That's why it's considered a shorter range weapon. It's not saying you can't shoot targets or hit them. It's just saying the effectiveness it has. So... What I'm saying to you is those maximum effective ranges matter when you're shooting, say, hunting or for soldiers going to war. But if you're target shooting, they're not as important because if it can still hit the metal or hit the papal, you're scoring. So make sure you understand that for whatever you're setting that weapon up for and whether or not that really matters. Now, if you're a new shooter, there's other things you need to learn about, and it's best to have a coach there while you're shooting, and that's basic fundamentals. Breathing trigger squeeze, how you're holding the weapon, how you're aiming. In the military, we call it steady position aiming, breath control, and trigger squeeze. 
Steady position means whether you're standing, you're kneeling, you're lying in the prone on the ground, whether or not it's supported or unsupported, meaning let's say you're lying on the ground shooting. Supported might mean you have your rifle resting on sandbags like they do in the military. Unsupported would be it's just your arms holding it up. The more stable you can be at the beginning, especially when zeroing is the better. So that's why in the military we zero in foxholes that are set to our height with sandbags so we can be a proper stable position and we can lean our bodies in there to be as stable as possible because when you're zeroing you want to be as stable as possible then we have aiming how we aim correctly which all you got to do is look up images on google to find proper aiming techniques short version is this you're looking through a rear sight lining it up with a front sight looking at a target that's three different things what should be in focus to your eye is the front sight that front sight post should be in focus you shouldn't even notice the rear side post, and that actually should make your target a bit of a blur. If your target is in focus, especially distance, and any distance really, once you start shooting past about 25 meters if you're, or 50 meters, if your target's in focus and your front side post is not, you're going to start missing more. You want your front side post to be what is clear and your target to be a slight blur. It'll make it easier to line it up and you'll be more accurate. Breath control is just breathing. There's people that tell you to hold your breath. When you're first shooting, especially on AR, keep it simple. While you're sitting there, you're going to be naturally breathing. You're going to be when you inhale and when you exhale. You'll realize that when you exhale out, you have a natural pause in your breathing. That's when you want to pull that trigger. Second thing to note, before you get to the point of pulling that trigger, even though you line your sights up, watch that front sight post move. When you're breathing, you may not notice it on a 50. So be looking out to a 100, 150 meter target. Just breathe naturally. Keep your sights aligned and just watch that front sight post, how much it actually moves. This way, when you're zeroing and checking these targets, you can align yourself to find out that, oh, I exhale. Here's my natural pause. My front sight post at this point, let's say, is a little high. So you make that adjustment. So that natural pause, that front sight post is sitting center mass of that target. And then you pull the trigger. There's other breathing techniques and things you can do, especially for different types of optics and different distances, but this is the simplest way. Take a new shooter with iron sights on an AR platform and learn to properly zero and engage those targets effectively. The next thing is trigger squeeze. It's called squeeze, not pull. There's all kinds of things that tell you how to put your finger on the trigger. Ideally, you want your finger to fall on there comfortably. It's better not to have it in the joint in the first two segments of your finger, it's better to have it somewhere on the meat. Only because if it falls on that joint, part of your finger rolls over and it's very easy that you're not actually pulling straight back. You're pulling slightly at an angle and that's going to affect what happens when you pull the trigger and where that bullet goes. So you want to have it more on the meat, but you want to practice with it and make it comfortable. There's other factors involved, making sure you have your hands seated all the way up in there, but you need a coach to make sure and look at all these things and say, here's where you want this hand, here's where you want that hand, here's how you want to hold it, whether you're in the prone, whether you're kneeling, whether you're standing, all these things start to factor in, but I'm trying to give you the simplest things to get you going, to get you zeroed and on target so you can have fun at the range. Lastly, I'll mention one of the ways the military trains and a lot of people still train is, let's say you're zeroing on that range, you want to zero, they'll have you fire three bullets. Those three bullets should be somewhat in a group. That group might be a four-inch spread, which is pretty big, and it might be a one-inch spread, which is pretty tight for a new shooter. The reason they do that is it's the minimum. What they do is they, they draw lines and make whatever kind of weird-shaped triangle, if they can, or a line out of those three bullets. 
And the center of that space is what they use to make the adjustments based on what the target tells them. You need to make adjustments on your rifle to get you on target. My suggestion is if you're a new shooter and the ammo's there, you can do that. But if you're not at least an average shooter and you can't, you know, and you can't keep your groups under say three inches, which is still pretty big, you need to, if you're hitting target, but maybe not zeroed, try shooting some other targets first to try to, especially with a coach to get that shot group a little tighter. And then when you're zeroing, if you're already at that point or when you get to that point, when you're zeroing, don't shoot three rounds, shoot five. Because typically a lot of people, especially their new shooters are going to drop at least one round, meaning most of the rounds are in the same general grouping and one's dropped. It's way off and we can't explain it. Okay. If you have two rounds tight and one dropped way off, while that could suggest what is wrong, sometimes it's not enough. So five rounds is better. Most people are going to have the three to four rounds in a group and one round might be dropped. Then you can ignore that round with high confidence and focus on that group of four and make those adjustments to get it on target. Then even then, let's say you get it on black on the silhouette, but they're not all in that circle, but they're all over. Okay, we're in the neighborhood, but we just can't get that tighter shot group. At that point, it's not about zeroing anymore and making adjustments. It's about you as the shooter, which is where you need that coach to watch your breathing, see how you're holding the weapon, figuring out is it you've just been shooting too long and your hands are sweaty. Are you anticipating the shot, which isn't an involuntary reaction that your body has? Is your position wrong? Is your trigger pull wrong? And they can start looking at the fundamentals. That's what you need that experienced coach for that can help you make that shot group tighter. When it comes down to types of firearms, barrel links, how the barrels are coated, what the barrel's made out of, what type of magazines you're using, the quality of ammo, who makes it, the weight of the bullet, the shape of the bullet, all these things can factor in. But again, for that new shooter or somewhat new shooter, a lot of those factors don't matter because you probably don't have the skill level yet to notice the differences. You're not capable of meeting what those items will do. That's why we're taking this very simple and say, we just want to get on target and see what we're capable of. And then we learn more from there because it's no different than a camera. Yeah. It seems like what that, if they even sell them anymore, those $50 point shoot cameras will do versus a 5,000 Nikon, the $5,000 Nikon might seem to take better pictures and maybe maybe it's because it's in a bigger format. But if you don't realize what that big camera is capable of and don't have the training to do it, it's you're not going to get full advantage of it. So it's best to take what you have already. So all I'm saying is if you already have a rifle, no matter what it is, even if it's a $500 rifle and there's nothing special about it and you're shooting 62 grain or 55 grain bullets and you're just not getting where you need to be, you're not getting on target, things aren't as accurate, you, you can't get it zeroed. If you turn around and get a $5,000 rifle, that's not going to change that. You have to master the fundamentals and the basic mechanics of the weapon and shooting to get on target to even notice what that better product is going to do. Just having something more expensive isn't going to make that happen. And the best thing you can do when you're not much of a skilled shooter, when you have a weapon like an AR with iron sights, is to always, always, always zero those iron sights. It's going to help you be a better shooter. It's going to help you by having a backup system because they, the reason they're called buses, backup iron sights, is for people that have other optics they're using as a primary. Okay, just because you have an optic on there doesn't mean it's your primary. Your primary, you might choose to use iron sights. The other thing is, while I don't consider it significant, it's noticeably easier to shoot a red dot. 
another reason why you should shoot those iron sights first. It, you're going to find those flaws easier. You're going to have a coach there, hopefully, that can help you zero that in, figure out what deficiencies you have, and increase your skill and ability as a shooter. And then instead of just going to a red dot because it seems easier, a red dot will be like so precise and consistent. Once you've done that, you'll be shooting the red dot better than the other guy who never zeroed his iron sights in the first place. So short version, don't get too caught up into numbers and ballistics and all these things. If you're a new shooter, your capabilities very likely are not where that bullet or that tool or that scope, what it's capable of. It's what you are capable of. It's better to have a coach and somebody experienced here that can help you, that can see all these other factors. But in its simplest form, depending on what you're hunting or if you're target shooting or what your conditions are, you're going to kind of have an idea what distances you're going to be shooting most of the time, which should narrow down for you or at least cut out some of the zeroing options that you have. No matter what distance you choose to zero at, when you aim center mass, the bullet isn't just going to magically land there at every distance you shoot at. You'll need to know exactly which ones it can do, and your best option is to have a range with multiple target distances. So when you have a smaller cartridge intermediate round like a 5.56, ideally, which doesn't mean you can do it, but ideally it's better to have targets set at 50-meter intervals Whereas somebody who's shooting heavier 30 caliber rounds are going to be zeroing at 100 meter or 100 yards distances. So that's ideally better if you have that capability. Then you can see what those rounds can do. And then you always go back to that zero target if you're not shooting all the time. Just to reconfirm zero, make sure you're following those basic fundamentals. Because remember, if you were zeroed, you're zeroed really good. You're hitting the circle and the silhouette. You go to a fixed distance range, no distance range. You're hitting targets consistently, feeling really good about what you're doing. Then you don't touch the rifle for six months. That zero didn't change. So if you're not hitting, it's not the gun, it's you, which means there's things about your fundamentals and stuff that you have lost, which is natural because you have limited shooting experience and it's been a huge gap in time since that really successful day, which means you need to get back on that zero target and work on the fundamentals. Don't work on changing those sighting systems around. Because if they were good and you change them around, you'll discover that, yeah, I'm hitting targets now, but then later on the day you're going to be missing because your fundamentals start to kick back in or that coach helps you and he doesn't know you change your zero. Once you get there and you're being consistent, you can start experimenting. Maybe you want to change your zero distance. Maybe you want to shoot longer targets farther away. Maybe you want to have tighter shot groups and more precise shots at closer distances. You just experiment with that and figure out what you want to do, and maybe you combine the two. And then somewhere in there, you follow the exact same process when you add, say, that red dot on. Whereas if it's an optic scope with magnification and it's got crosshairs and bullet drop compensators, the manual is going to tell you what to do there. Keep it simple to start. Get a lot of practice in. Get a coach. Get somebody that can be there with you that knows what they're doing. Biggest thing you can do without going to a range for dry fire training is using a completely cleared and unloaded weapon, no ammo around you whatsoever. You take that rifle, let's say, for example, you know you're going to be shooting in the prone. You're going to be laying on your belly, shooting with your rifle resting on a bench rest. Okay, replicate that in your house or in your yard, say 25 meters. Maybe you can only do 20 feet in your hallway, whatever you can do. Pick a, a something to look at on the wall or wherever you're going to put it that's a target you're going to look at. It could be something the size of a soup can. Maybe you pick something smaller. 
Hold the weapon the way you're going to hold it and start with that breathing technique. Watch, just breathe naturally, have a good grip, and just watch that iron sight move. And then figure out where that natural pause in your breath is, where that iron sight at your natural pause rests as center mass, where you want to hit, and then practice dry firing. And then when you're dry firing, you can see how much that sight post moves when you pull that trigger. The other thing is you can get in a perfectly stable position and hold your breath if you want, although I don't suggest that for new shooters. But you can pull that trigger and see how much that sight moves so that you can start working with that adjustment and say, oh, it's that's a pretty big jump. Like it's going, you know, three times the width off target. Okay, you might be jerking that trigger, not squeezing it, or perhaps... You are squeezing it, but where your finger's placed on it is you're pulling it more to the right or pushing it more to the left. That's what you want to work on for basic dry fire skills to help you be more accurate on the range. Now, just to get an idea of how many rounds this takes, following a U.S. Army standard, they say you should be able to zero with a coach in 18 rounds, which means you'll fire six times, three rounds each time doesn't mean you have to do that if it, you do it in five rounds that doesn't make you a god and if it takes you 100 rounds that just means you need more training it doesn't make you a terrible person but i would definitely set aside some rounds to get that zeroed and then you want to start shooting at distance so if all you do is say you choose a 200 meter zero you shoot at the target let's say it takes you 25 rounds you're confident i'm zeroed i'm just nailing that circle while i aim at silhouette that's great the next thing you should be doing is physically shooting the di that maximum distance. So if it's a 200 meter zero, you should be shooting 200 meter targets to make sure you can hit them and see what the physical distances are like. After that, let's say you hit that 200 meter, let's say you hit it seven out of 10. It's pretty good for a new shooter. Then we want to start backing that distance off. If they've got a 150, you want to shoot that. If the next one's 100, you want to shoot that. But you want to shoot some of those in between ranges. Because one of the things you want to look for is aiming center mass on each one of them and see if you're missing any consistently. Because if you're missing any consistently aiming center mass, since it's below that higher number, you're probably shooting over it, which means you need to start looking at things. Is it a situation where like on a 300 meter zero, the natural ballistics of that bullet will of course fly over a 200 and 250? Is it that? Or on a 200 meter where that probably shouldn't happen with a lot of training, is it something you're doing? Are you just in your natural breath pause pulling that trigger when the front sight post is higher than center mass on the target therefore the bullet's going over it's figuring that out which helps you then once you get that down and you're just smoking targets consistently you can decide do i want to get tighter shot groups at these distances or does that matter or do i want to start shooting at greater distances in which case you might have to change your zero but know this in the same way that say using this example 300 meter zero as i've told you if you aim center mass you're going to miss 200 and 250 so you have to shoot lower you don't have to change your zero to shoot farther you're just going to have to probably aim higher on the target if not over the target which you can of course watch videos and see all kinds of stuff but you can start figuring that out and you work with targets that you know their distance as you're getting into this then what you start doing is working with targets that you don't know their distance and maybe instead of this target being at 100 meters Maybe somebody puts it out at 115 or maybe they pull it back to 80. Something different where you're having to start learning how to naturally estimate or guess the range to the best of your ability. There's lots of techniques and things you can do to get better. But the point is to say, keep it simple. Keep it as simple as possible. Get a coach. 
start with zeroing. Pick a zeroing distance that makes the best sense for you, either for what you're doing or where you actually can shoot. Stick with that for a while. Get it zeroed. Shoot targets at that distance. Shoot targets at the lower distance. Figure out, do I have holdovers? Do I have hold-unders? How's my breathing working? Am I holding correctly? How's my trigger squeeze pull going? Then we start increasing distance. Then we start looking at changing zeroing distances. Then we start looking at other optics. You can do all of this without using iron sights and going straight to a red dot another optic, but you will be missing out on a lot of natural things you can learn, and you will not be as skilled as if you go through this entire painful process using those iron sights. Those iron sights, more than anything, are going to show you all the little things that you can improve a lot more than everything else. Now, one other thing people bring up that typically isn't going to matter for this situation is most people most of the time aren't shooting 5.56, 223 rounds past 400 meters, even at that distance. There's people that do it. There's people that do it for competition, for trick shooting, for different reasons. But the majority is not doing that. They choose other rounds or different weights of that rounds, and they have higher speed weapons with longer barrels for specific reasons to shoot those distances. Not saying you can't do that. I'm just saying most people don't do that most of the time. So things like the Coriolis effect, the curvature of the earth and gravity stuff aren't going to matter at distances like that. You have to go several hundred yards for that actually to matter. Another thing you're looking at is elevation change. If let's say you live by the ocean and you zero at sea level and that's how you shoot all the time and then you go up into the mountains and you're at 15,000 feet, yeah, you'll probably notice a difference. You can. The air's thinner, moisture's different. What about humidity? Humidity can matter, but for these shorter distances, the only time you're really going to notice them is let's say you go shoot in the summer in the swamps of Florida with high humidity down at sea level, and then you come to Arizona in the desert where humidity is at like 12% and you're shooting at 7,000 feet. Sure, you could notice a difference, but even then it'll be very minimal. Typically, those are going to be for greater distances. Temperature can have an effect too, but for most people, like I said, shooting at like 400, 500 and less, usually it's going to be less than 400. You're not going to notice it as much. In fact, it's unlikely that you would be able to tell it all. It'll take a significant change with these shorter range differences to really notice it. What about wind? Wind is there all the time. So things to notice about wind is you're looking again for more extremes. You have, you know for sure, you have no wind. You're shooting in a canyon, an indoor range. Let's say there's a killer indoor range and shoots out to 400 meters for whatever reason. You zero and you're hitting targets like that. Then you go up in the mountains and you've got consistent 25 mile an hour winds and you're shooting from one mountaintop to the other, yes, in situations that extreme, you'll notice the difference. But most of the time, shooting under 400, and and I keep saying 400 because most people, especially when they're new shooters, aren't going to be consistently shooting out to 400, especially if they're shooting lower targets, lower distance targets. You're not really going to see those differences unless you get gusts. And even then, it's going to have to be more than 35 miles an hour, probably more. You still can see those. Don't get me wrong. Those things can still happen. But generally, these changes happen over greater distances, and it has to do a lot with how long the bullet's in the air. So obviously, if the bullet's shooting 100 meters, it's not in the air as long as it's when it's going 700 meters. It's in the air longer. The other thing is you're shooting over a longer piece of ground. The air could be steady where you're at, but down by the target, there might be a gust. Another thing is what does that bullet do in its flight? You know, there's bigger bullets like the 300 Wind Mag that are real great flat shooting bullets, but all of a sudden there's a distance where they just like, they disappear and drop out of target. Whereas the bullets, 5.56 bullets, they don't fly like a missile the whole time to a target. 
depending on the round and how you're shooting, once you start crossing like 200 meters or so, if it even takes that long, they start tumbling, which is what they're designed to do for the targets they hit. So that can affect whether or not these other things are going to affect the bullet because of how the bullet flies. But for generally speaking, most people aren't going to be able to consistently shoot that distance unless that's the only distance they're shooting and they're shooting long-barreled rifles. You're shooting ARs. You're probably only really shooting out to 200 and 250 most of the time. A little training and skill, you can get out to 400. But you're going to discover really quickly that it takes pretty big extremes in wind, temperature, and humidity for the speed that round will fly at that shorter distances to have any real change. All those things are realistic factors, but they tend to be with slower bullets, greater distances, greater extremes in where you're shooting. So how do we correct this? Let's go back to the previous example. You're shooting in high humidity in Florida at sea level, no problem. You come out to Arizona, let's say you're going to shoot with me. Okay, we got like 15% humidity out here, and we're probably shooting at 6,000 feet. So what's the best thing you can do? Pull out that zero target and reconfirm zero. Now, going back again, if you haven't shot in a while and your bullets are over a place, we're not going to make any adjustments. We're going to shoot until we get that good tight shot group. And once we get back to that shot group that you're used to using, you go, yep, got my good tight shot group, feeling confident with my fundamentals, but it's still not quite on target. That's probably the difference you're going to see for that environment. So you just pop it over and, and move it on there. That's all you do. And that'll be simple enough. So don't worry too much about those types of factors. You're going to usually have to have a big environmental change. And most people most of the time don't have that. Most of the people that are going to notice that are going to be hunters, usually shooting greater distances that are shooting in a certain environment. And then they travel somewhere else to go hunting. Maybe they don't get a chance to zero. Or maybe everything seems the same. And then day four of hunting, there's weather phenomenon and changes and high winds and all those things factor in the biggest way to get past those because... You know, we're hunting, we can't just go zero, is to take all the skills and knowledge and help you have available to make those adjustments and changes. But don't worry about those too much. They're not a huge factor for that round at short range distances, which for most of the time when you start shooting isn't really going to exceed 250. If you like this episode, don't forget us a like, share, heart, whatever your platform is using, and make sure you let people know you think will enjoy this material. Give us a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're at. And don't forget to check out the show notes and check out dmrpublications.com. And we will be back again shortly with more information right here on Grayman, Hiding in Plain Sight.